0: And again, take your Bibles in hand there and turn with me to John chapter 6 as we continue our our regular morning series in the Gospel according to John. This is John the Apostle as he writes about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll remember the purpose of this is not to relate a chronological List of the events that our Lord Jesus Christ did. In that sense, it's not a biography of our Lord. It's written from more of a theological perspective to help set forth uh, the theology of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we're to believe concerning Jesus. And so he concludes uh, the whole account by saying all these things have been written so that you might know these things and so that you might believe. That's the point, is that you might believe. The purpose of coming here on the Lord's Day is to worship our great God. But wouldn't it be a pity if people coming to worship our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, might leave not believing more, not believing better, Not believing more clearly. And uh, I'll go ahead and say this. There are a lot of people who love to come to churches to absorb information. And if you're one of those, you need to repent. That's not the purpose of worship. It's not for us to absorb information. It's about us to adore our great God and King. It's about us loving him and trusting Him, all the better. So, may that be the case here. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in chapter six, and we're going to begin reading in verse twenty-two. If you'll remember, if you if you just glance at the the bold little descriptive terms that men have placed. Over the main sections there in chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, Jesus walks on the water. And now we come to verse 22, and we're going to read through verse 40. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Now we know what happened because we saw that last week. They went away alone. Uh, a, a storm uh, is, is brewing and the Lord comes walking on the water and he intervenes for them, the Lord of nature. Other boats from Tiberius came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So, that, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Father, give us faith to believe that. That your word endures forever. And that in your word alone is revealed to us the Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. Father, there is so much in this passage help us to help us not to be blinded by the density of it but may we be enlivened and enlightened by the clarity of it we ask this in Jesus name amen i was a uh, when I started preparation for this series some months ago, one commentator who is a contemporary, one of the fine commentaries uh, commentators on the Book of John, uh, said one of the one of the problems with preaching through John is that uh, it's easy to get to get bogged down in the in all the all the many 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 details and. Uh, lose sight of the forest for all the trees. And he's right. And this passage is a good example of that. Um, We could simply say, well, what Jesus is saying here is nothing that he hasn't already said before. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Well, that was the message of John chapter 3. The work of God was to send his spirit to give a new heart, to regenerate, to give new birth, so that we might, whosoever believes in him, have everlasting life, John 3.16. So we're getting nothing new here. He's just telling the same story over and over. I grew up Baptist. Some of y'all, many of y'all know that. My dad's favorite, favorite I I am reticent to call it a hymn. It was I've just called it a song. But it was in the, the old Broadman hymnal was I love to tell the story. Well, it's not a bad song at all, actually. It's just it's about me. It's about I. It that that's a good country song, but it's it's not always a good worship him but we should love to tell the story it goes on to say it's an old old story that has been around forever and it has been and we see it again right here that's the work of God that you would believe in him who he has sent we could uh We could spend much time in that latter paragraph with the whole issue of the Father. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. There you're getting into the whole issue of the eternal decree and the Father's uh, determination to, to save a people. And he's going to do it through his eternal son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul says it somewhat like this. From before the foundation of the world, he chose us in Christ Jesus. It's the same old message. And it's the saving message of God's work to save his people uh we we could settle in on this for certain we could preach against present culture church culture if we wanted just to do one of those kind of sermons in verse 26 jesus said uh i say to you you're seeking me not because you saw signs and it's strange isn't it because they go on then to say what have, what have you done what signs have we seen huh i mean these are the same people that just ate the food y'all right? The handful of loaves and the few little fishes that have been divided and divided and divided, and it's become enough for 5,000 men plus women and children. And this is not the first time the Lord's done this. We don't know in what order whether the 4,000 came first, and they've already seen that, and now a second time, or if the 4,000 episodes are going to come later. We know they're distinct because here it was 5,000 men specific. In the other account given by another gospel writer, it was 4,000 total. So we know this. And yet they've not seen, which is a fulfillment, of course, of Isaiah, right? Having eyes to see, they won't see. Ears to hear, they won't hear. It's the... It's that same old story. And then, you know, I mean, getting to the present-day church culture, just turn on the TV. Uh, Y'all know this, that I I do this to my detriment, to your good, I hope. I, I turn on TV occasionally and particularly watch preachers. Not to make fun, but just, and I'm appalled at the bad doctrine. And it's not just on local TV, in fact, that's some of the better, but it's on Christian TV and radio. And the whole health, wealth, and prosperity thing is so out of control and it's sad. We go into other countries. When I go to Brazil, it's down there, it permeates the Brazilian church, the health, wealth, prosperity, uh, Pentecostalism. You go to Peru, it's the same thing. They're battling it in China in the underground church. And Jesus slaps them right here. He says, You're 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 seeking me, not because you saw signs which would have have pointed you to me as being the Messiah and God. But why did they why did they follow him? You're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, because you got something, because you prospered. If that's not an indictment against popular prosperity preaching in the church, I don't know what is. The Lord Jesus Christ, that's like a punch in the nose. That's right there with him going into the temple and and, and the outer court and throwing over the tables. But if you'll remember, I, I preface this by saying I could do all this. But as the commentator reminded us who were reading him and preparing to preach this long series of sermons, if you get into that, you, you could end up with a Puritan series of sermons that will last your entire preaching life. And since my, my preaching life is on the, on the gray side instead of on the brown side and the less hair side rather than the more hair side, I decided I, I didn't need to do a Puritan sermon series on the Gospel of John. So this is how we're going to do this. Don't forget what I pointed out already. Those are important. Those are part of the text. But what I to do is see the big picture here. That the Lord of all, remember what we've been doing. We saw him the Lord of the Sabbath. Then we moved to the Lord of nature. And now he's moving to, to the Lord of redemption. This, this one who is Lord of, of Sabbath, Lord of nature, is also the Lord of Everything. And that's where our hope is. And the Lord who is Lord, he is, the, he is the master of all things, over all things. Here's what I want to talk about. Since the word believe appears so much in this passage, and it'll continue to, so we'll come back to this in the coming weeks. Let's, let's think about this. The word Faith faith, believe, trust, all those words being the same. But I want to say something. Faith, like grace, you've heard me say grace. Grace, we love the word grace. Grace is an important part of our, our, our whole culture as a people, as Christians, and certainly as Reformed Christians. but i hear grace thrown around so much and i wonder if 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 it hasn't lost a good deal of its true meaning faith is another word that's similar faith is used in all arenas of life have you noticed that everyone talks about believing and faith and trusting and you you whittle through you you get through all the weeds and what are they believing in? They're believing in themselves. Trusting themselves, trusting their judgment, trusting their this, trusting or trusting this this uh ideology, or trusting this platform, or trusting yeah if we just think politics, folks And y'all know I'm I'm pretty apolitical when it comes to the pulpit. But if politics teaches us anything is we ought not to trust men. Faith faith has to be in the right place. But then the question is but why do why does everyone talk about faith even unbelievers? I mean the whole world talks about faith, right? Well, I think we do a disservice to God if we don't ponder that just briefly. The reason everyone talks about faith, the reason everyone lives in some sort of faith world. We have a number of folks here uh, in science, right? Faith is an important element in science, is it not? I mean, it boils down to, well, I accept this theory over that theory because it's more believable to me than that one is. By the way, if they're not saying that, they're just not being honest. The faith comes into play in everything. Why is that? Well, it's because we are the only creatures on the face of this earth who are made in the image of God. And because we're made in the image of God, we have this thing called the sensus divinitatis—that that is the sense of God. And, and Augustine said something sort of kind of like this, that we have, a, we have, a, we have this vacuum, this, this emptiness in us that only God can fill. This heart-shaped vacuum that only God can fill up. So everyone's looking. Everyone's looking to believe in something that will satisfy that emptiness. Now, that also explains why we tend to pervert things like love. Love is terribly perverted in our culture, isn't it? I mean, you just think a moment. How many different definitions, if you were to say this, people, all week long, this coming week, when you say love, what do you mean by it? And all of a sudden you're like, what What are we talking about here? Marriage. We've perverted marriage. And by the way, not just in in homosexual relationship marriages, but in heterosexual marriages relationship marriages, we perverted it. Why? We 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 pervert worship we pervert faith. It's because we're sinners. That's where I'm going with this. It's because we're sinners. The only answer for sin is faith. That's not technically true, though, is it? That's how the world perceives it, and so that's the reason they believe in something. But it's Christ, is the legitimate answer. But how do we come into union with Christ? That then brings up the topic of faith again, right? Right? How do we come into union with Christ? How does Christ end up filling this vacuum? How does Christ end up being the answer for everything? It's through faith. So not just any faith will do. That's where I'm going with all this. Not just any faith will do. It has to be a faith that has the proper object. And who is the, faith, the, the proper object of a saving faith? We, we confessed this earlier. If you, if you notice, we confessed. We confessed. That there's only one right faith, and that is we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man. And then dot, dot, dot. This passage is all about that. You see the three points that are there on your outlines. We're going to be brief on those. They're all in here. I'll just point you to them. First, true, proper saving faith, the faith that will make a difference in your life, the faith that will truly fill the vacuum that exists because you're an image bearer of God, is a faith that's lodged firmly in in Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God. He's the only proper saving object. Verse 29, Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Please notice that he's talking about himself, right? And he has been sent. Sent from where? Sent from the Father. Where's the Father? The Father is eternal. He is in eternity. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. You cannot simply believe that Jesus was just a good man. Jesus was a good man to the degree that God blessed him in a way that he's never blessed anyone. I'm just... I'm just kind of giving you a few old heresies here that manifest themselves today, don't they? Because if you're a believer, you have friends who believe Jesus was a... Well, I have to say he was a good man. If you take the testimony of the Bible, he was a good man. In fact, he was a very good man. At the end of his life, the wicked men, in government even... Couldn't find anything wrong with him. Folks, there are people all over the world today who believe that Jesus Christ was a good man, a very good man. In fact, he may have somehow figured out the secret to not sinning. But that's not what the, Jesus is saying here. He says that you have to believe in him whom he, God the Father, sent. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> it was God who could heal disease. It was God who could, who could raise the dead. It was God who would forgive sins. And that's the same message as the New Testament, except we learn more, don't we? Because as Scripture unfolds, we learn more. About God. And we learn in the New Testament that this God, who is Lord over disease, Lord over death, Lord over sin, is none other than Jesus Christ. Because He's doing it, He's exercising His Lordship as God over death and disease and sickness. He's in control of nature. The one who made it all is controlling it all. You have to believe that. Or you don't have a Jesus that can save you. You also have to believe that as the sent one, he's the incarnate one. In other words, he took on flesh. Verse 36 starts giving that point. But I said to you that you have seen me. The Apostle John is going to write later some letters. They appear later in the New Testament, First, Second, and Third John. And in the opening verses is First John. He says, "We beheld him. And we handled him. He was not a phantasm. He wasn't a figment of their imagination. He was a real man. He took on real flesh. We just confessed that earlier." He was born in the world. Perfect God, perfect man. He was born of the substance of his mother. He was incarnate. We're coming up on that that Christian season. We celebrate that year round here. But apparently some churches just do it certain times of the year. When we focus on the incarnation that he took on flesh why did he have to do that so that he could save us completely gregory of nazianzus great early church father one of the cappadocian fathers we call them he said this that whatever he did not assume he could not heal let me just parse that for you whatever this jesus did not take upon himself In other words, if he didn't take a human will, if he didn't take a human nature, if he didn't take a human body, he can't save the human will and the human nature, the human desire, the human body. But he did. And so Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 2 with great precision. He did this to save us from our sins. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's doing. In his flesh, he did. He did everything we need, folks, to save us from our sins. And by the way, he continues doing something for us, interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, verse 40 concerning the incarnation for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day we behold him we we can we see him in the scriptures one day we're going to see him face to face when we come into his glorious presence We have to believe he's eternal. We have to believe the eternal one came down and took on flesh. And we have to believe that he did something for us that affected God the Father. Very brief. The mediator between God and man is the only proper object of saving faith. Verse 35 can help us with that. He says, Jesus, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's mediating for us there. We take him, and he brings us into communion with the Father. It's a remarkable thought, isn't it? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we often say this here at Covenant. This is one of those special times when we, in a little more special way taste heaven our heavenly citizenship is realized a little more clearly when we come to the lord's supper because we're tasting we're all of our senses are affected by those elements not just our hearing as it is today but all of our senses verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The whole point is, as he goes on to say, where I am, we will be with him. He's going to be in the presence of the Father. This is the reason that Paul could make this theological statement in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The eternal Son, who took on flesh to mediate for us, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Why? Because we are alienated, the scripture says. We are enemies. Let me tell you something. If any of you have ever been alienated from family, one of the things you know is that you can't talk to them. Right? That's why you say, no, we're alienated. I haven't talked to my brother in years. Haven't talked to my sister in years. Haven't been able to talk to my parents for years. Why? Because you're aliens. That also means you're enemies. We're enemies of God. We're alienated from God. And that's why we need a mediator. That's why we need the mediator. Not just any mediator, but the mediator, Jesus Christ. That's what this passage gets into in the theological big picture is that true faith, and you notice how many times believe, believe appears in this passage, true, proper, saving faith, the faith that will actually bring about a satisfaction in our being has to be a faith that's lodged in the real Jesus, the true Jesus, the saving Jesus, the eternal one, the incarnate one, and the mediating one. No other Jesus will do. Why would we want anything less than the whole Christ? The real Jesus. This is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him... Should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This message gives us hope. On those days when you don't have much hope in your fellow man. You can have hope in Christ. And you can hope, have hope That he's going to do for you now and he will do for you always what you need. So the question is, do you believe in the real Jesus? This Jesus, the saving Jesus, the one that the father sent, the one the father sent to take on flesh so he could do for you what you can't do for yourself. And the one who mediates for us even now at the right hand of the father. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and we ask now that you bless the preaching and take the pitiful words of of this sinner and use them for your glory and for the good of everyone in this room and beyond this room for those who might hear later. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.